And a good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters. Your host, Dr. David Hilden. I sensed a new name. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Diddy. Good morning, everybody. It's Daylight Savings, and we are uh, here with our, our usual Healthy Matters show yeah. brought to you by uh, Hennepin Healthcare. That's Hennepin our new Healthcare. name. Yeah, so our, our. Well, we still have a hospital. We still have a hospital. It's still down there. Um, in fact, um, the hospital is still called HCMC. Yes. Those of you who are from Minnesota, you know, our hospital always, you know, for decades and decades has been and, and continues to be HCMC. But it, that doesn't really capture what um, my organization does. And so we are we've um, we've launched a new uh, era, um, essentially, at Hennepin. Our, our system name is Hennepin Healthcare. We have clinics all I've, – I've talked about this for years. Yeah. We have clinics all over, uh, mostly the western metro area of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. But we have clinics up in Brooklyn Park and we have clinics in Golden Valley and in Richfield and here in the city and, and um, at variety of locations. And when we called ourselves just by the hospital name, it was too limiting. And, and – um, and so now that our new uh, clinic and specialty center is opening up on March 26th, it was the time. So we have a new logo. We have a new brand. We have a new system, and it's called Hennepin Healthcare. What didn't change, Denny, is this fine hour of radio. That's every right. Sunday. It's still here. Thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we are still doing My Healthy, Ma- or my, or healthy Matters. Um, yeah. That hasn't changed. But I, but I um, do want to thank you all for listening. It is Daylight Saving, which, which reminded me. About one year ago, I was angry about daylight saving because I was probably sleep deprived or something. So I wrote a blog post about it. And so I want to encourage you to go check that out. Go to myhealthymatters.org. It's the name of the show with the word my in front of it. Just put myhealthymatters.org. In the search box, just type daylight saving. And about one year ago, I have a blog post. And I, I, I re-looked at it this morning because I was... I think I was angry again about daylight savings, and it's kind of funny. I think I wrote kind of a funny post. So, so if you want to go check it out, but you were out, tired at the time. Yeah, there's a little video in there. I talk about where daylight saving came from, all of the myths around wow. daylight saving. It doesn't help anybody. The farmers aren't to blame for it. They didn't want it. Nobody wanted it. But we have daylight saving. So go to myhealthymatters.org. You can do that right now if you want. By the way, it's seven thirty-six. Is it seven thirty-six? Yeah. Okay, good. Time. Yeah. You know they don't do it in Arizona. They only do. They don't do it in all parts of the country yeah. or of the world. And and it turns out it was started by the Germans in World War One. Hmm. So you can read about that in in uh, the myhealthymatters.org post. It is a year old that post, but it's still timely. Still so just put in the search box. Just put. Daylight saving. I do want to um, encourage you to go to myhealthymatters.org, not just to learn about daylight saving, but I did a new post about two days ago that I'm really excited about. There is a new study out in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, which in adult medicine is kind of it. That is the premier journal where doctors learn about medicine. And a a medical school classmate of mine named Dr. Erin Krebs is a doctor at the Minneapolis VA. She cares mostly for vets. She has just published in JAMA a groundbreaking study about how to treat pain of the lower back, hips, and knees. And she has found that all of the strong narcotic pain medications that we've been prescribing on all these years, the addictive kind, are no better. They're zero, no better than the, than the non-narcotic kind. And all they have is a lot of downside. So it's a fascinating study. And so I did a post about that. And I actually emailed Aaron over at the VA, and I said, hey, can you talk to me about it? And she said, great. I'm talking to the New York Times, uh, all the national outlets, CBS News, NBC News. Sure, I'll talk to you too. 
<laughs> so she did talk to me. So go to myhealthymatters.org and check out Dr. Krebs. Um, I have some quotes from her about pain control in knee and back pain. Mm, so that's right. a bunch of housekeeping stuff. We're going to talk about today's topic. How about that? What is that now? Uh, pediatric brain injury. We're going to talk to uh, Dr. Andrew Caragu, who is in studio with me. Andrew, I've known him for some years now. He is the interim chief of uh, the Department of Pediatrics. But he does a whole lot more than, um, than administrative work in pediatrics. He's got considerable experience and expertise in neurocritical care for children. Um, and that means trauma to the nervous system. Um, so he's also our co-medical director of the Pediatric Brain Injury Program at HCMC, has been since 1989. I'm going to ask him about that. And then um, he served over 4,000 children, 4,000 with acquired brain injury. He's on the national board of the Injury-Free Coalition for Kids. He's a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on Injury, Violence, and Poison Prevention. And um, locally in the state of Minnesota, I had to ask him if this was true, he is the president of the Minnesota chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. He's got a resume as long as your arm. And and I've often said if you're if your kid's in a bad way, if you don't want, you know, it's where you don't want to be, but if your kid has a bad accident, the person as a parent you want to walk in the room is Dr. Caraglo. So, Andrew, thank you for being here today. Hey, Dr. Hilden, thank you so much for that wonderful uh, introduction. I should make a correction, though. I've only been uh, the medical director uh, of the uh, pediatric brain injury program at Hennepin since 2002. Since 2002. Don't you make know... me older than I am already. <laughs> <laughs> How long I have you been at Hennepin? Uh, since 2002. That was it. It was yeah. at 2000. I don't know why it says here. Eight, yeah, 89. Yeah, you don't look that old. Yeah. That's not... <laughs> Oh, well, it's good to have you on the show. Um, Dr. Krager was on the show sometime in the past again. And is I had to ask him, is March, is it tra- is, it's TBI month? Yes. It's what does that brain, mean? It's Brain Injury Awareness Month. Uh, and it's really a time uh, for um, organizations around the state that are interested in this issue uh, to bring to, uh, to bear uh, an increased awareness about this problem of uh, uh, traumatic brain injury, acquired brain injuries. So when you say acquired brain injuries, um, this is in children who are getting in accidents, or, or, or how does it occur? Uh, a variety of mechanisms. Uh, and uh, typically, uh, uh, most frequently, children who suffer brain injury suffer it from a fall. Uh, you can uh, acquire it from a motor vehicle crash, uh, and then, of course, uh, sports-related uh, uh, injuries. We're going to talk about all of that. We'll talk about um, what happens to kids both at a very tender young age um, all the way up through adolescence. Well, I suppose adolescence is a tender age as well. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, how big of a problem is brain injury? Is it is it common? Do you see one every blue moon or is it a relatively common thing? It's a relatively common thing. Uh, uh, if you look across the nation, uh, about 4 million people uh, suffer from uh, a scene in a hospital uh, because of a brain injury. Uh, and that's probably... Uh, underreported uh, because there are people who suffer a concussion uh, and don't go uh, and seek medical advice. Um, but, you know, traumatic brain injuries are the leading cause of death uh, in children, and you are 10 times more likely to die from a traumatic brain injury than the second leading cause of death, which is uh, leukemia. But if you were to think about what people tend to be more worried, about, worried about is leukemia and not so much traumatic brain injury, hence the need for 
pediatric or traumatic brain injury awareness month. Yeah, I, I, that is fascinating. It's a falls in brain injury. Brain injury are the number one cause of death in children, and cancer is number two. I would bet if you asked most people, what is the thing you're so scared about in your child? Oh, I would hate it if my kids got cancer or whatever. Yeah. But it's 10 times more likely. That you'd die from uh, an unintentional injury. An unintentional injury. Than you would from... Uh, is that true of all ages of, of children? So, uh, you know, in the age group uh, from uh, below one year of age, uh, that um, injuries are not the leading cause. However, in kids above the age of one all the way up to uh, 44... Uh, Unintentional injury is the leading cause of death. All the way up to young adults. Yeah. Young adults, yep. I'm still going to call 44 a young adult. Yes, sir. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about how um, about the differences in as kids get older. I'm sure. um, starting out with very young children, toddlers, preschoolers. Um, sure. What are some of the ways that kids um, get injured when they're very little like that? Uh, so um, a lot of times, you know, if you think about the developmental stages of, of uh, children, so uh, as babies are beginning to learn to walk, uh, they may be more likely to fall and bonk their head. Uh, sometimes parents are surprised uh, when the baby has figured out how to roll and rolls right off the bed and uh, falls and on the floor and uh, bonks their head. I mean, so um, uh, as kids grow older, they're more likely to get into uh, uh, more uh, situations where they might get injured. So more sports, so older children are more likely to get uh, injured. Um, I, I should mention, uh, in younger children, uh, because they rely so much on their caregivers for help, uh, those are the situations in those uh, young children where the caregiver injures the child. So we see in young babies a high incidence of uh, what used to be called shaken baby yeah, syndrome, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, we, we use the term abusive head trauma. So that's something that uh, we always want to uh, keep in mind. Uh, but ac- across all age groups, really, the most common reasons that a kid will get a brain injury is a fall, mm-hmm. being involved in a, a car, uh, motor vehicle uh, collision, uh, or sports-related uh, injuries. I want to go back to falls um, because I have a personal anecdote. Um, I don't remember this, but when when I when I was a baby living in Colfax Avenue in South Minneapolis, I literally fell through the floor to the basement below. Oh wow! That sounds scary. <laughs> I, I don't recall that, but but some genius. I hope it wasn't my folks, but some genius had taken a. Uh, a hole in the floor that I believe was used to put laundry in so you could throw your laundry to the laundry room and then they had just put some acoustic tile over it. So I fell through and I fell to a concrete floor eight, nine feet below. And I think I turned out all right, but you don't, I don't know, but the jury's still out, you know, some 50 years later. But uh, the reason I bring it up, I, I, I was literally okay lying there, I think as a two-year-old on the basement floor. How do, the, my, the reason I bring up that silly story is how does a parent know of, of – I'm talking young kids now, preschool, when they should do something or when the when – how do you know if a little pre-verbal kid has a brain injury you know, when they fall? When should parents be worried I guess is I what mean, I'm saying. I the, mean the beautiful thing about babies, uh, they're able to communicate in a particular way, right? So – and you're able to tell my child's acting abnormally or not. They're much more fussy. Uh, so say someone who is pre-verbal. Uh, my baby is much more fussy than they usually are. Uh, they are not able to sleep. They're uh, they're crying too much. They maybe began. They're throwing up. They can't keep anything down. 
you'd probably want to seek some help. Um, their soft spot seems to be bulging more. There's a bruise that doesn't seem to go away. Mm. Um, so I would probably, in that situation, uh, bring the child Take in for some you. attention. Then. Yes. We're going to talk more about that. I think mm-hmm. Denny's telling me it's time for a break. Time I for think. a break. But then as usual, we always like to invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. 651-989-9226 or send a text to the doctors. That number is 81807. Overcast, 32 degrees on CCO. The time is 746. And welcome back to this portion of uh, Healthy Matters. And again, if you want to be involved in the show, a couple of ways to do it as usual. Uh, call us, 651-989-9226, or send us a text at 81807. Here again is Dr. Hill. Thank you, Denny. We're talking to Dr. Andrew Carago, pediatrician and specialist in uh, pediatric neurotrauma, which is a mouthful for a trauma to your head and brain and the like. We're talking in honor and in um, in recognition of Traumatic Brain Injury Awareness Month, which is the month of March. Before the break, um, Dr. Krago, you were telling me about, you know, when your little baby is fussy and how did you know if your if your child is uh, um, might have a have a brain problem? And I think that was um, insightful. The parents kind of know when your kid isn't normal. acting right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think doctors. Maybe you don't. You're a pediatrician. But I think doctors sometimes forget when a parent tells you their kid isn't normal. You should listen. You should listen. Yes. Is that the truth? Yes. That- uh, once a, when uh, uh, parents have a certain intuition uh, about them and uh, for any health condition, you should, you should definitely listen to the parents. So let's move on to a little older. Lots of people have kids who play soccer. They play hockey. They play football. They're skateboarders or, or whatever. Kids are bonking their heads all the time. Yes. Um, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, how do you know when your adolescent in your life has a brain injury that requires attention? What does a concussion look like? Yeah. Uh, so uh, what a concussion looks like is a sudden alteration in either the mentation. Um, you might even have a loss of consciousness uh, following an injury to the head or an injury to the body that results in a sudden stop that causes the brain to accelerate and decelerate suddenly. Um, and so uh, awareness about concussions has actually uh, been increasing. Uh, the state has a new law that uh, essentially mandates that uh, coaches uh, are really doing their best to evaluate and make sure that uh, children who've been injured are um, evaluated and uh, seek the proper attention before they go back into play the game. It's not such a good idea to go back in and keep going, I've been told now. It used to be, you know, you'd just say the coach would say, suck it up, you got your bell rung, go back in. Yeah, no, no longer. Uh, and and thankful, and I'm so thankful for that. And uh, some of the changes that have made that um, possible for athletes so it doesn't seem like they're letting their teammates down is to see even in pro sports, uh, athletes uh, taking time out of the game after sustaining a concussion. Yeah, you hear about it when you're watching professional football. They're on the concussion protocol, and yeah. it's sort of taken out a little bit out of the hands of the coach and the player. Yes. That makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk a little bit about um, um, uh, helmets and, and biking. We're going to get to uh, – we've got a lot of text messages coming in. We're going to talk probably after the break um, about – um, from our listeners, we're going to talk about those. But let's talk a little bit about helmets, biking, skateboarding, all that kind of stuff. Do helmets work? I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but let's talk about why they might. 
Well, uh, it essentially uh, provides uh, protection for your noggin uh, when if you fall and hit it. Uh, and so uh, there, for most uh, sports that involve some sort of contact, uh, you will see the recommendation for uh, the use of a helmet. Uh, and that involves something like uh, riding a bike, skateboarding, football, lacrosse, all these different sports where you might get into contact uh, with a, a player, uh, another player or or object uh, while you're doing your sport. Right. You know, and, and it seems to be um, – I don't know if it's a regional thing or if it's – you know, acceptance of kids seems to be – Pretty good in some areas, but now here's another personal story for me. When I see people at Lake Harriet here or around the Minneapolis lakes or around, most of them are biking with helmets. Not all, not all, but the, you know, but most and certainly most families with kids. I see a lot too. Then I go out to L.A. where my daughter lives. I can't, there's nary a helmet to be seen in Southern California. You know, you're, you're, I don't see anybody wearing a bike helmet, including my own. Uh, daughter, much to my chagrin, I go. Where's your helmet? She looks at me like I asked her. You know, if if she's from Mars. So, I, it, do you find that there's acceptance of wearing a helmet in kids? Um, uh, there is acceptance. And uh, how do you help parents get your kids to wear it? And by being good role models. Uh, so, if you want your children to wear their helmets, then they should be. You should be wearing a helmet when you're riding your bike with them. Um, as parents, we serve as good role models, uh, you know, being uh, fairly firm that uh, your child, if they want to ride their bike or they want to uh, go on their skateboard or other uh, contraption that might result in their injury, that they should wear a helmet, protect yeah. their head. I think that's good. I, I have a hunch, and I don't know this, but I, I used to think that my kid was riding away from our house with the bike helmet on, and then as soon as they would round the corner... Off comes the helmet like that, you know, because, you know, it's not cool anymore. I'm hopeful we're beyond that and yeah. that, that kids are. I like the role modeling idea. If the adults yeah. aren't wearing it, then why would your 10-year-old? Yeah. And, I mean, uh, uh, a few years back, we actually had this young man admitted uh, to the hospital for observation after he was hit by a car. And how we knew uh, how serious this accident was was because it was caught on video. Uh, it happened... Um, in uh, one of the Minneapolis neighborhoods and from across from where the accident happened, someone had cameras trained on the street uh, and caught the whole thing. And mm-hmm. this boy was hit by a vehicle traveling at some speed, um, lost consciousness, uh, came to the hospital for evaluation, stayed overnight and uh, was able to be discharged. If he had not been wearing his helmet, uh, which ended up being essentially totally destroyed by the uh, impact, yeah, he, the story would have been quite different. Would have been very different, very different. We're talking to Dr. Andrew Caragu, um, a pediatrician and a, a specialist in pediatric trauma. He is the uh, director of the pediatric intensive care unit and actually runs the entire department of pediatrics, ably so, at um, at Hennepin. And we're talking about traumatic brain injury. We do have some uh, listener um, questions and the like. We're going to get to after um, the break. Um, I do want to alert you to a. Uh, I'm going to talk about it at least once or twice in sure. the show. Our our new era in healthcare at Hennepin um, has begun. We are now Hennepin Healthcare. If you're in downtown Minneapolis, if you've seen some Metro Transit buses or trains, um, you're going to have noticed our new look, our new logo. You're going to see some um, um, wonderful photographs of actual Hennepin doctors. Um, including a pediatrician, I might add. Um, Hennepin Healthcare is the system of of care of which HCMC is the hospital, but we have clinics 
and all kinds of services that you might not be aware of. On March 26th, the big one is opening. That's the Clinic and Specialty Center here in downtown Minneapolis. It's 400,000 square feet, give or take a few, of state-of-the-art facilities. Our open house is March 17th. I will talk about that more in the second half of the show. Good deal. And if you want to get involved in the show, 651-989-9226, Texas 81807, 32 degrees at 757 here on CCO. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, 651-989-9226, text is 81807. And Dr. Hilden, for those maybe joining us a little bit late, uh, you can tell everybody who you brought with you. I today. will do that. Thank you, Denny. We're going to talk about uh, we're talking about traumatic brain injury. March is TBI Awareness Month. We're specifically focusing a little bit on how to keep um, uh, young adults, adolescents, teens, children, kids, um, traumatic brain injury. We're talking to Dr. Andrew Carago about that. I will reintroduce um, Dr. Carago in just a moment. A couple of bit of housekeeping things. Before the break, and if you've been listening to the last few weeks, you know that we have a big month at Hennepin Healthcare coming up. And yes, indeed, that is our name, Hennepin Healthcare. Um, it is not the newest. We're probably the oldest healthcare system in Minnesota. I think we've been around since like Abraham Lincoln. We've been around for over a hundred years, but the name has has been uh, re um, uh, jiggered, if you will, to reflect yeah. more what we do. Hennepin Healthcare is a system of clinics. Outpatient, inpatient, same-day surgery, allergy, pediatrics. I could go on for about 10 minutes about all the various things that we offer. And so the name of the hospital, HCMC, is still there. It's HCMC in downtown Minneapolis where you um, are the Twin Cities' best hospital, in my opinion. But the system is called Hennepin Healthcare. So this show is sponsored by Hennepin Healthcare. And this month, we open up the Clinic and Specialty Center. First patient at 7 a.m. or something like that on um, Monday, March 26th. But what are you doing on St. Patrick's Day? We have an open house. It is March 17th. It's a Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can come and see the new building. Um, We'll have uh, refreshments. There'll be some treats. It'll be lots of energy there. We're going to give many little tours of the place. Uh, Bernie, the rescue dog, he'll be there. If you don't know who Bernie is, he's a seven-foot-high St. Bernard. And so you want to come say hi to Bernie? Bring the kids. Bernie is is really popular with the kids. Is he, Is he Andrew? Lutzen. He's from Lutzen? Lutzen, yes. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. You should read up his history. Did you have anything to do with uh, Bernie? A little. Okay, so uh, <laughs> a little of that. <laughs> so Bernie will be there. I'm going to ask uh, Andrew about Bernie in a second here. That's all on March 17th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, for more information about what's going on at Hennepin, um, go to our re-engineered, um, uh, redesigned website. It looks so nice. It's at hennepinhealthcare.org. If you still type hcmc.org, it'll redirect you there, so no worries. But it's hennepinhealthcare.org. It's got a new look. It's got a new brand. You can see Dr. Karagu's picture if you if you search for a doctor there. Um, he's there, K-I-R-A-G-U. Uh, uh, the, he's on the site. So go to hennepinhealthcare.org for more information on that and put on your calendar March 17th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. for an open house. Okay, Bernie the Rescue Dog is sort of our mascot. Well, he's not sort of. He is our mascot, and he's a big old St. Bernard dog. Tell me about the story of Bernie, Andrew. Uh, So uh, some years back, uh, we were trying to uh, figure out how to let people know that uh, Hennepin uh, cares for kids. We provide exceptional care for children. 
And one of the ways that we wanted to do that uh, is uh, to introduce uh, a mascot that was kid-friendly, uh, ergo uh, Bernie the dog and uh, the rescue dog. And actually, uh, on the pediatrics uh, uh, level at the hospital, uh, their paws, his paws, paw prints. Oh, uh, no that, kidding. Yeah, from the clinic uh, down the hallway to the ICU and to the main ward. And that's the way I we... I pass those all the time. Yeah, so those are find... Bernie's paw prints. Yeah. We have great decorations in our hospital. We have dog prints on the wall. No, it's a great, it's a great kid's um, uh, uh, unit at Hennepin. Um, what do you mean he's from Lutzen? Yeah, so part of his history, and I, unfortunately I don't have the whole history, but uh, the, uh, that's where he grew up and... and and learned, uh, you know, the intricacies of being a rescue dog, and uh, then decided to move down to the Twin Cities. So come meet Bernie, March 17th at 10 a.m. He's not very talkative. He's a dog, <laughs> but he's a seven-foot-high St. Bernard. You can meet him at the Clinic and Specialty Center open house on March 17th at 10 a.m. Before we get back into TBI, I do want to one more time, because we get a new set of listeners sometimes in the second half of the show, I want to tell you about what's going on at MyHealthyMatters.org. If you haven't checked it out, I invite you to. It is the website that is associated with this show. You just take the name of the show, Healthy Matters, and put the word my in front of it, M-Y, MyHealthyMatters.org. There's a few uh, posts I want to call your attention to. One I put up there just a couple days ago. There is some new groundbreaking research on the best ways to treat pain. And I'm talking about chronic pain of your lower back, your hips, and your knees. 30 million people have arthritis. And we're not, what's the best way to treat it? Well, somehow, somehow over the last 20 years, we got into opioids a little bit too much. And if you have been listening to the news at all, you know that we're in an epidemic of opioid overdoses. So that's a, we're in a conundrum. Well, my colleague and um, from medical school, uh, I haven't seen her much lately, but she practices out at the VA. Her name is Erin Krebs. She has done some groundbreaking research that is making national attention. She is the most sought-after doctor I know this past week, and she spent a little time talking to me about her research, and I have put a blog post up about that, about when should you use Tylenol or when should you use ibuprofen, what other things work, and what is the role of opioids in chronic pain. And this is unfiltered from the leading, one of the leading experts in the country about it. So go to MyHealthyMatters.org. Also, it's Daylight Saving. If you just search on Daylight Saving in MyHealthyMatters.org, you can look for a post from last year, which is kind of a humorous look at what we're all going through today. Okay, let's go back to traumatic brain injury. We're talking to Dr. Andrew Caraga, who is the co-medical director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Hennepin. And uh, he has um, got a really long CV, so I'm not going to go through all of his accomplishments. Let's just say he's an expert in this. He is the current president of the Minnesota chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. So just one more time, thanks for being here, Andrew. That's my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, so we talked about some kind of the mechanisms that kids um, uh, get injured. And I'm going to go to the text messages in just a few minutes. But I want to ask you what happens in a pediatric ICU. So you helped open you designed or i mean you didn't like personally design it but you were in charge when the pediatric icu at hennepin opened up can you talk to me and our listeners a little bit about what the inside of a PICU looks like yes so uh the peds icu the pediatric intensive care unit uh is a space within the hospital where children who are critically ill or injured uh come to receive their care um our 
our unit uh, is a nine-bed unit, uh, all uh, private rooms, uh, where children uh, are able to stay with their families uh, during the time that they're receiving their, their care, uh, with state-of-the-art equipment, uh, specialized uh, nurses and physicians uh, to provide them this care. I can't imagine much, anything much more stressful than that, than to have your child have to be in the ICU. I know it's your day in and day out life, but I bet every kid's case is unique. And 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 to be the parent, I just can't imagine how stressful of a time that might be. How do you involve families in the care of the patients? Yeah, and and it's definitely a very worrisome uh, time. Uh, we involve families uh, across the continuum of care. Uh, they participate in our multidisciplinary rounds uh, every morning when we are. Um, uh, talking about each child and the the care plan for the day, we involve the parents. Uh, they are part of the team. Uh, we have uh, child life specialists. Um, uh, we have different kinds of therapists if they need them, occupational therapy, physical, speech therapy, and nursing, and as well as the physician uh, teams. And we, we include the parents as part of the team, uh, allow them to ask questions and do our best to explain uh, the care that their child is receiving. That might be, that might sound like yeah um, to people listening that that should be normal, but it's not altogether that usual. At least historically, at least in adult medicine, where you involve families on the day to day decision making. I think in pediatrics you probably involve parents a lot more than like in me in adult medicine. Historically, and it's not something to be proud of, adult doctors, you know, you, you, half the time we ignored the family member in the room and you say, here's what we're going to do to your loved one. Hopefully in peds you've been a little better at that. But that is very fascinating to me that um, when your child is in your intensive, your pediatric incentive care, you have daily conversations with the family. Yes, uh, because there might be multiple things that are happening. Um, and knowledge, we tell parents, knowledge is power. And we want you to feel uh, that you know everything that's going to be happening with your child. Let's go to the text lines if we could. Here's some, there have been a couple of them have been in lining up here. Here's a person that said, I had a basal or skull fracture at the age of nine. I'm now 56. What, if any, effects may I possibly see as I go into my 60s? It's an interesting question about long-term effects. Are there any? Yes. uh, In uh, this uh, uh, person's particular case, uh, it is uh, less likely that uh, there would be any effects from that injury. Uh, You know, typically to... When you have the fracture of the base of the skull, it, it, it usually involves significant uh, enough force. Uh, but if he's not had any untowards uh, effects from that injury up until now, it's unlikely that it would all of a sudden rear its head in his 60s. Here's a text message that we only received half of. It's cut off, but I'm going to try to extrapolate what I think it says. It's about, um, it says, in grade school and beyond, she had difficulty remembering and concentrating. The first half of the text is cut off. Um, But what I think this texter is saying is a, a child who has had some kind of brain injury earlier in life, how does that affect school performance? Um, uh, uh, with concentrating and remembering, is that a one of the possible? And I'm I'm sort of um, speculating on what the texter's question is. Yes, um, and and this is something that is uh, so it's in a sense a very important question. Uh, one of the ways that uh, injuries will manifest uh, is this difficulties with uh, concentration, difficulties with sleep, headaches. Um, uh, sometimes children may have behavioral problems uh, resulting from that injury. 
and uh, the how long these uh, will continue would depend on the degree and the type of injury that the child sustained, uh, which is why uh, we work together with families uh, to slowly integrate them back into school, uh, integrate them back into play. Is there some way, because this text message then goes on, is there some type of scanning or imaging that you can do um, to see if a brain has more long-term damage? Uh, So while there is, over time, the significant advances in uh, brain imaging, there may not be a specific uh, image that you could get uh, that would tell you, uh, oh, this uh, is what's happening right now. Uh, However, uh, there are uh, specialized types of uh, MRI uh, imaging that would tell you that uh, this is what is happening uh, to your brain right now in a patient who's uh, suffered an acute brain injury. Tell you what, let's uh, have a break, as we usually do about this time. Again, if you uh, would like to join in on the conversation, 651-989-9226, or the text number is 81807-81807. 31 degrees on CCO. It's now 822. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters here on CCO. If you uh, want to get involved in the show, call us, 651-989-9226. Or again, if you'd rather uh, send a text, 81807. Here again is uh, Dr. David Hilden. We're talking to Dr. Andrew Caragu about... um, um traumatic brain injury in children. I do want to, um, uh, we were joking a lot around about our Hennepin's mascot is um, Bernie the rescue dog. And um, somebody did call in and, and ask that uh, a little bit more about Bernie. Bernie is not a live dog, just so we're clear about that. Isn't that right? No, he's not a dog. He's he, he's, just a mascot. He, he's a mascot. He's just a fun kind of thing that kids like. So I'm a dog person. I think that would be cool if we had an actual dog too. Well, maybe I don't know if that would fly. Anyway, we have several more text messages. I'm probably going to take out the rest of the show and ask you questions from the text line here, Andrew. Um, here's someone that says, um, uh, I think it's it's to help us out with that last one. This was someone who had fallen before age two and was wondering about um, school age problems after that. So do, when you're very young, uh, can you talk a little bit about the very young brain and skull and the dangers of falling when you're at an infant? Yeah, so uh, when you fall when you're really, when you have a significant injury when you're very young, uh, it can be difficult at times to ascertain how, what impact that will have long term. And so there are certain uh, programs uh, that, we would ask children to be uh, involved in um, where they would have ongoing uh, assessments either by a neuropsychologist, occupational therapy, uh, different uh, cognitive assessments that would help to determine whether or not that injury was having long-term effects. And uh, some of those you'd have to start when the child was a little older. Right. This is not one about traumatic brain injury, but it's uh, one as a pediatrician. I just want maybe if you give us a 60 second on this one what about screen time. Uh, can you talk about screen time for school aged children? What's the latest recommendation? My kids looked at screens a little bit. Yes. Uh, and uh, truly, uh, the uh, AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, uh, really advises parents to limit uh, screen time. Uh, and uh, and across all screens. Uh, it's not just the TV because now children have a whole host of different screens to look at from their telephones to their uh, iPads, computers. Uh, so the, the, the recommendation has, to be, has been to limit uh, screen time. Uh, 
um, and engage children in activities that um, help them to uh, play and have fun with other children yep. and with their loved ones. Amen to that. So it's Traumatic Brain Injury Awareness Month, and you're involved in many organizations. What do you hope um, people become more aware of? And, you know, kind of rounding out the last minute or two of our show, you know, what, what are some take-home messages that parents or caregivers should know about keeping your kids' brains healthy? Uh, I think the, the, the big take-home message and one that I would be remiss to leave the show without uh, uh, paying some emphasis on is uh, prevention. Um, so we have many opportunities to prevent brain injuries, and it, as little as wearing a helmet, riding your bike, putting a seatbelt on when you're driving a vehicle, uh, being thoughtful uh, when uh, your child is engaged in any kind of contact sports, uh, and then awareness about the signs and symptoms uh, of uh, a concussion. Um, there are different programs out there by the CDC uh, that, uh, and with information sheets for parents and coaches uh, to help them uh, be able to recognize the signs and symptoms of a concussion uh, and then recommendations as to where and how to seek uh, help uh, after those uh, that has happened. Fabulous. We've been talking to Dr. Andrew Caragu, um, a pediatrician, uh, all-around good guy, but most of all, he is a pediatrician. He's the interim chief of the Department of Pediatrics at Hennepin. He's the director of, of, of our pediatric um, intensive care unit at Hennepin, and he's got a, a number of leadership roles in, um, in pediatrics and in neurotrauma. Andrew, thanks for being on the show again. Oh, it's been great. Thanks a lot. It's been great to have you on the show. I hope everybody's learned a little bit of something about your kids, keeping your kids safe. Hope you learned a little bit about some of the resources in the community. And, and again, I do want to encourage you to go to myhealthymatters.org for lots more information. And um, and I will try to put up a um, – uh, well, I won't try. It will be up. The podcasts of this show and all previous shows are at myhealthymatters.org. All right, and if you need a doc, there's one number we always remember. One number to remember, it's 612-873-MY-MD. One, well, there's not a one. 612-873-6963. And next week, quickly? We're going to talk about poison prevention next week. All right, join us then here on 830-WCCO.